Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Well, yeah, as Chris said, I had the opportunity to preach uh, this sermon last weekend at my parents' church and then unexpectedly get to preach it again this morning with you guys. So we're going to take a break from the life of David and we'll be in Luke chapter 10 this morning uh, looking at the story of Martha and Mary. This is a really short story. It's only five verses, but it's such an interesting story and a really applicable story for us this morning. It's an interesting story because just like many of the stories about Jesus in the Bible, the, the character, the person, or the people that we would expect to get the pat on the back from Jesus actually ends up getting rebuked. And the person or people that we expect to get rebuked from Jesus actually gets the pat on the back or commended. And we see that same thing with the characters in our story this morning. It's also an especially applicable story for us because it's primarily about someone who wants to, wants to know Jesus, who wants to do good, yet is distracted and anxious about many things. And if you're over the age of 10 or 11 in this room this morning, you could probably make a long mental list right now of all the things that are distracting you, worrying you, making you anxious. So we're going to take the text in three parts this morning and see what we can learn. We'll look at each of the three main characters, Martha, then her sister Mary, and lastly, we'll look at Jesus. So let me read it and we'll jump in. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Well, as I said a minute ago, if you're unfamiliar with this story or it's been a while since you've read it, then you might be a little bit surprised at which sister is held up as the example to follow and which sister gets rebuked for her actions. Because you have Martha, the one sister who welcomes Jesus into her house and then spends all of her time serving Jesus, caring for the people of her house, trying to be an excellent host. And at first glance, we would expect this to be the model sister. After all, serving others and practicing hospitality, those are good qualities, and they were especially good qualities in the first century. Yet, Jesus rebukes Martha and commends Mary instead, who is just sitting at Jesus' feet, not helping her sister. So let's look a little deeper at Martha and see why Jesus might respond that way. And as we do, I think we'll see her do two things that cause her to receive rebuke instead of commendation. One is that she elevates the important over the most important. And two, she elevates her desires over God's desires. So first, the important over the most important. At the beginning of the story, it's Martha who welcomes Jesus into her home. And we don't know if Martha knew Jesus by this point. There's some other stories about Martha and Mary in Scripture, most notably when uh, Jesus raises their brother Lazarus from the dead. 
but we don't have a great chronology of which story comes first. Most likely, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead later on. So this could be the first time that Martha is meeting Jesus. But at the very least, she, she would know who Jesus was. Jesus had gained notoriety by this time as a, a famous or maybe infamous teacher in the area. And so what do you do when a great teacher knocks on your door? You let them in, and then you listen to what they have to teach you. But instead, verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving. And in his rebuke of Martha, Jesus says, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And so here's why this is one of the the primary reasons why this story is so applicable for us today. Martha doesn't get rebuked for living a sinful life. She doesn't get rebuked for shutting the door on Jesus' face and ignoring him. She gets rebuked for serving Jesus. This story isn't about a good person versus a bad person, a follower of Jesus versus not a follower of Jesus. This story is about two people who want to love Jesus. It could just as easily be about two people in this room this morning or watching online. And so what that means for us is that it's probably possible for us to be just like Martha, to be a Christian, to love Jesus, to want to follow Jesus, to do Christian things like coming to church regularly and being a part of a small group or a serve team and and serving Jesus, yet fail to worship him properly. Martha is serving Jesus. She's just like a Christian who does all of these religious things, yet she's still missing something. Jesus says one thing, is necessary. And that seems to assume that Martha had made her serving that one necessary thing. No matter what happened that evening, Martha was going to serve people. We don't know why. Maybe she liked to serve to, to look good for others. Maybe she liked to serve because it made her feel good. Or maybe she just liked to serve because she was a good person. But whatever it was, Jesus didn't accept her service because in the midst of her serving, she had missed him. So whether it's serving a meal to Jesus or or serving the church, it's so easy for us to do the same thing and to lose sight of the one that we're doing them for. Martha was doing a very important thing, but she missed the most important thing in the process. So so what are those things in your life for you, the the important things that get elevated to the most important? Maybe it is something like, like, like church, serving the church. Maybe it's something as good and important as your job. Jobs are necessary things. They're important things. But how have you made it that one necessary thing that you have to have, the thing that defines you? Maybe it's even family. Of course, family is a great thing. But if we're so consumed with our kids reaching their full potential or whatever it might be and not focusing on Jesus, then we've elevated the important to the most important. And we're going to look at this a little bit deeper in a minute when we look at Jesus, but God's desire for us to keep Jesus as the most important over any other thing, whether good or bad, is actually for our good. Because what happens when your job or your family is the most important thing in your life, the thing that you have to have just how you want it in order to be happy? Well, you're always going to be anxious. You're always going to be worried. You'll always be distracted because you might lose your job. You might not get that promotion you were expecting. Your kids might let you down and make bad decisions. Your marriage isn't always going to be like a perfect movie marriage. No matter what it is, if you make something other than Jesus 
the one necessary thing that you have to have to be happy, then you aren't going to be happy for very long. Every single thing on this earth will let us down, except for the one who created this earth, Jesus himself. But that's not all. Martha didn't just elevate the most important, or the, the important over the most important. She also elevated her desires over God's desires. We see that in verse 40 when she asked Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And does Jesus say, oh, yes, I'm sorry, Martha. Mary, go help your sister. No, he shocks us and he actually rebukes Martha. And here's why. Martha had assumed that her desire to serve Jesus and have Mary's help doing so was Jesus's desire as well. And what's worse, she actually assumed that Jesus didn't even care about her because if he did, he would have told Mary to get up and go help her. But that wasn't true, right? In reality, Jesus did care, but what he cared about was having Martha come and sit with him and not Mary getting up to help Martha. And just like we follow Martha elevating the important over the most important, I think we follow Martha here as well. Uh, Do you ever get frustrated over small things that happen throughout the day? Uh, You can ask my wife, Maddie, I never get frustrated. I'm just perfectly content with everything. Uh, Obviously, that's not true. When the internet's slow or I'm cooking dinner and missing an ingredient or stub my toe on the door or Imogene, our daughter, won't go down for a nap or something like that, I get frustrated. And I usually don't say this out loud, but it's certainly there in the back of my mind. Why would God let that happen? I'm a Christian. I prayed this morning that Imogene would have a good day and nap well. Why isn't she sleeping? Why do I have to be missing this ingredient for dinner? How could that possibly fit into God's grand plan for my life and it be necessary? Can't I just have these simple desires? And just like Martha, I doubt that God really cares because if he cared, he would just give me these desires. But God's desires are not my desires. His desire isn't that I would have this perfect carefree day where nothing goes wrong. His primary desire is that I would grow in the faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and look more and more like him each and every day. And guess what? That slow internet, that difficult child actually trains me to look more like Jesus a lot more than the perfect day does because it helps me rest my hope on him and not on my circumstances. God wants to bless us with good things, of course. He's not just like a puppet master up there causing us to stub our toe or anything like that. It grieves him when we're hurt, but more than giving us good gifts, he wants us to know him. And if not getting what we want is what it takes to know him, then that's what's going to happen. It's not just minor inconveniences, though. How many of us, and again, we probably don't say this out loud, but it might be there in the back of our minds that we might think, man, I really ought to earn more money than I do. Man, my life really should have turned out differently than it did. God, do you even care that this is how my life turned out? And this story teaches us that, yes, God does care, but his desires are not our desires. More than anything, more than a big house or a nice car or whatever, he wants our heart. And especially interesting and applicable way that we could apply this uh, right now is also when it comes to politics. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's an election coming up in a couple weeks. Nobody's really talking about it. It's not a big deal or anything like that. Uh, 
how easy is it for us as Christians to assume that the candidate we want to win in election is the candidate God wants to win in election? And to assume that what God wants more than anything else is for America to get back to her Christian moral roots or something like that. And certainly God would be pleased by that. But you know what God wants even more? He wants people from every tribe and tongue and nation all around the world to know him. And I have no idea which candidate would better accomplish that purpose. So again, whether it's getting frustrated with a child or having bitterness about your life not turning out how you want it or being stressed out and angry about the upcoming election, God's desire for us, for our desires to match his, is for our good. Because what happens when they don't is frustration, bitterness, anxiety, anger. But when we submit our desires to God's desires, we find peace and contentment and joy. So what we learn from this story is that God does care about us. He cares more than we could ever imagine, but his desires are different than our desires. He has that eternal perspective in mind. His number one desire for us here on earth is to prepare us to spend eternity with him in heaven. And in his wisdom and and mysterious sovereignty, that requires allowing us to experience difficulty, big and small. It requires us to not get what we want some of the time, probably even most of the time. But it's not because he doesn't care. It's actually because he cares so deeply. So that's Martha. She invited Jesus in. She wanted to listen to his teaching, but instead she elevated the important over the most important and her desires over God's desires. What was the result? She was jealous of her sister. She was angry. She was bitter. She was miserable. But there's hope. What about her sister, Mary? Well, in verse 39, we read that Martha had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So the first thing that we see with Mary is that she chose to adore Jesus. While Martha chose to try and put on a great show to make sure that every detail of the evening was covered, Mary just wanted to be with and to get to know Jesus. Luke says that she sat at the Lord's feet. This was the place for the student with the master, the inferior with the superior. The emphasis in this story is not that uh, Mary didn't help her sister Martha, which was true. She probably should have been helping Martha and she wasn't, but The reason is because she was so intent on being with Jesus. And Jesus says Mary chose the good portion. Martha adored her serving, but Mary adored Jesus. And that was far better. The other thing that Mary did to receive commendation from the Lord was that she chose to listen to Jesus' word. Not only did she sit at his feet, but verse 39 says that she listened to his teaching. All throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus teaching, and his teaching was radical. He taught that religious leaders should repent. He taught that uh, he had authority to forgive sins, that he was equal to Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. And what did most people do when they heard those teachings? They rejected it. Some even wanted to kill Jesus. Of course, we don't have Jesus walking around today, but we still have his teaching in the Bible. And guess what? People still reject it. People are still hostile against it. But like I said earlier, this passage really isn't about people out there. It's about us in here. And 
just because we aren't hostile against Jesus' teaching or anything like that doesn't mean that the reverse is true. It doesn't mean that we're submitting to it and obeying it and allowing it to have authority in our lives as well. Just like people out there who don't want the Bible to have authority over their lives or have that sinful tendency, we have that same sinful tendency to want control, to want it our way. The things that Jesus was teaching were hard for Mary to listen to. She probably heard him commit blasphemy and explain the Old Testament in ways that she had never heard before, yet she sat, she listened, she obeyed, she submitted to Jesus' teaching. We should learn a lot from Jesus here, or from Mary here, and ask ourselves, does Jesus' word truly have authority in my life? Are there areas of my life where I've, I've rejected the authority of the Bible? It's so easy for us in the Bible Belt to, to get behind the authority of Scripture when it comes to like big cultural or political issues and, and pit the Bible against the secular culture. But the reality is the Bible has just as much to say about the way we treat our spouse or our kids or the way that we spend our time or our money as it does about those big issues that everyone likes to talk about. So let's be like Mary. Let's submit to the Bible in all areas of our lives. Of course, that that assumes that we're reading it. It assumes that we know what it says. It assumes that we're studying it and hearing it taught so that we can submit ourselves to it. May we be more like Mary, who in contrast to Martha, chooses the most important things, Jesus and his word, over anything else, and chooses to submit her desires to God's desires, even when they come into conflict. Well, even though this story gets the heading Martha and Mary in the ESV, it really isn't primarily about Martha and Mary. It could just as easily be anyone else, two brothers, two kids, but it's really about how two people relate to Jesus in two different ways. Just like any story in the Bible, we could say that the story is actually about Jesus. So as we kind of get ready to wrap up here, let's look at Jesus and we'll notice two things that we can learn about him. The first is that Jesus is tender with us. Martha starts out this story welcoming Jesus in, serving him, but then she does something that should have greatly offended Jesus. She goes up to the Son of God and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And then what's even worse, she commands Jesus and says, tell her to help me. Yikes. And then Jesus explodes in anger, right? No, he doesn't. He says, Martha, Martha. In Hebrew, the the doubling of a name indicates great caring emotion. Jesus says this a couple other times in Luke. Uh, He says, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you, but I have prayed for you. And then in Luke 12, he's lamenting over Jerusalem and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Here he says, Martha, Martha. Even though Martha has prioritized her hospitality over Jesus, even though she accusingly asks him if he even cares about her, Jesus isn't angry or harsh with her. He's tender. And that should give us great comfort as well this morning It would be really easy to read a story like this where we have an example to follow, an example not to follow, and to ask ourselves, am I Martha or am I Mary? 
But the reality is you're not Martha or Mary. Every single one of us, if we are Christians, acts like Martha way more than we should and wants to act like Mary way more than we actually do. And after looking at this passage, hopefully you'll see that. But what I don't want to happen is I don't want us to read this and get discouraged. It could be really easy to think of, man, all of these ways I've acted like Martha and just kind of beat ourselves up over that. But that's not how Jesus responds to Martha. Jesus is tender with Martha, and he, he comes to us the same way this morning in that same tenderness. He isn't disappointed or upset with our failures. He knows our weakness. He knows our proneness and our radical ability to love the things of this world more than we love him. And yet, he's gentle. We might expect Jesus to act that way towards Mary, the, the one who worships him in this passage, but he surprises us and acts that way towards Martha as well. And I think the reason that Jesus does this is because they both have the same heart towards Jesus. They've both welcomed him in. Remember, Martha wanted to hear Jesus, but she was distracted. So in other words, this story, like so many others in the Bible, teaches us that our relationship with Jesus is not built upon what we do. If it were, then this story would have a completely different ending, right? Maybe Jesus would actually commend Martha because she worked really hard for him. Or if he still rejected her service, he would probably just kick her out of the house and close the door in her face. But what actually happens is you have two people who want to know Jesus. One does the right thing, one does the wrong thing, but Jesus accepts them both. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus this morning for forgiveness of sins, for reconciliation to the God who made you, then when you adore Jesus as you should, he loves you. And when you don't adore Jesus as you should, he still loves you. Our radical ability to not love him doesn't affect his ability to love us. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we just have a license to sin or do whatever we want. We already looked at how Mary submitted to Jesus's word and that that was better than what Martha did. It doesn't mean that God just overlooks all sin and it's all about love and everyone's going to heaven or anything like that. It, what we do matters, but if we are in Christ, then what we do doesn't earn us favor with him and it doesn't uh, banish us from him either. Instead, what we should do is allow that truth, that, that love that Jesus has for us, no matter what we do, to drive us to more obedience, to deeper love for him. So one more thing that we learn from Jesus in this passage, and then we'll close. It's that Jesus wants the best for us. We see that in verse 42 when he, he's talking to Martha, and he says that Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What Martha chose was fine, but it wasn't best. Serving Jesus was a good thing to do, but sitting and listening to him teach would have been far better. But it does kind of beg the question, who would it have been better for? Was Jesus just this like selfish teacher who needed people to come sit and listen to him and thought so highly of himself that, that he was mad at Martha for not listening? No, of course not. That last sentence, Jesus says that this is the good portion for Mary. This thing that Mary did won't be taken away from her. This was a good thing for her to do. What Martha chose would be taken away. Martha's service would be gone, just like that. The evening would end. But Mary chose something lasting, something eternal even, God himself. 
And Jesus's tenderness towards Martha, his desire for both sisters to know him and to obey him isn't for his sake primarily, it's for ours. In the same way for in, in the same way that Jesus relates to them, he comes to us and doesn't want us to allow good things like church attendance or family or jobs or anything like that to control us. That's for our good. He wants to give us perspective in the bad things for our good. Setting our gaze on Jesus is so freeing because it allows us to enjoy the good things as gifts and gives us perspective in the bad. Jesus' greatest desire is for our eternal good. But when we make that our desire as well, it actually leads to the best possible life we could have here on earth. Not the life with the most money, not the biggest house, not the most possessions, not the most successful sports team or the picture-perfect kids or anything like that, but a life of peace and contentment and joy. If you ask the people who have those other things, I think they would tell you that they would much rather have peace and contentment and joy. No matter who you are, no matter what you believe, you will have incredible joy in this life. But it's so fleeting, isn't it? And you will have incredible sorrow as well. And it often lingers and lingers. But when it's all about Jesus, you have an answer for both. The joy is worth enjoying as a grace from God and as a foretaste of that future eternity that we'll have with him. And the sorrow, though it lingers, is in fact only temporary. And Jesus will wipe away our tears when we see him face to face. This isn't a sermon where I give you three things to go and do or, or A, B, C, one, two, three, anything like that. It's the, the simplest yet most difficult application that anybody could give. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Worship him. Adore him. May he be the one necessary thing in your life. Love him and know that he loves you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are so prone to lifting things above Jesus in our lives. We just thank you for your grace, for your gentleness, for your kindness, for your love for us. Pray that you would help us to rightly order our things in our lives, that you would be on top. It would lead us to joy and peace and contentment. Give us much grace and help us to do that. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.